Thank you very much, Danica. Good morning. We are glad that you're with us this morning. In the youth ministry, we have been going through the book of 1 John on Friday evenings at our ignition meetings. And the book of 1 John has been very challenging to myself as I've tried to teach it and to our teens as they've had to listen to what John has to say. John encourages us and challenges us to have authentic faith. Many times he says, we can say that we know God, but if our life is not following that through, then many times he says, we are liars. And that's hard to hear. And so today we come to chapter 5, verse 13. We've been in 1 John since September, and we are just now in chapter 5. So we've been doing this book for over six months. And today we would like to ask you, I would like to ask you, are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Or are you lost? There's a popular show on TV today called Lost. And it's all about these plane crash survivors who are on this island and all kind of crazy things happen on the island and they are just trying to get rescued by any means possible. And if you watch the show, you know that this season they introduce a new character who is actually from Eleuthera in the Bahamas. So, you know, it's, I found that pretty interesting. Um, but can we know that we are saved or do we have to struggle and go through life wondering, well, gee, am I saved? Am I lost? I don't really know. Well, John says that we can know. But how do we know anything? How are we sure about anything? We have multiple sources from which we gather information, right? Today, one of those major sources is news. News from the news organization, CNN, Fox News, fair and balanced, right? But do we really know that they are giving us the best information? They have so many spin doctors and so many different points of view and people who come on and, and put a certain angle on information that we're not really sure we can trust it anymore. In fact, they did a survey and 53% of people said that they agreed with the statement that they don't trust news organizations anymore. What's another source? So we go to the internet. The internet is huge today, especially among teenagers. But can we really trust the internet as our source of accurate information to know anything? Not really, because anyone can start a website. I have two or three. Uh, we've got MySpace, Facebook. Uh, anybody can go and have a website and put anything up on, on the internet that they want. You can start your own blog and just put whatever you want up on the internet. There's the, the encyclopedia website, Wikipedia. That is a user-edited site. In fact, one late night uh, TV show host, he campaigned so that the Wikipedia site would say that a certain type of elephant in Africa was not being killed and was actually flourishing, even though he knew it was completely opposite to the truth, just to show how manipulated these websites can be. And it happened. It happened. The website eventually came to say that those elephants are flourishing when they are not. 
Do we get our information from movies and TV shows? Many of us do. This is where many people learn how to live life, from movies and TV shows, unfortunately. But we know that movies and TV shows have their own agendas, their own political slants that they are trying to push on us. And even the special effects that we see, we don't trust them because they're all computer generated. Uh, we can't even trust our eyes anymore to think that we know something. Well, what about books? Surely we can trust books, right? No. They were written far too long ago to be relevant. We don't know for sure that the people who wrote those books accurately recorded the information that they say they saw or that they interviewed people for. We can't really be sure about that. We had a debate uh, last Sunday morning. We've been doing debates in Sunday school with the teens. And uh, last week we did, is the Bible true? And we had a debate on that. And one of the people who was there said, they're just skeptical of everything. Because they can't trust the source. They don't know if they can trust the source. So if we, if we have all of these places that we get information from, but we find out that they are not 100% trustworthy, what do we rely on to be able to know anything? Eventually, we just come down to whatever I experience, whatever I go through, my perspective on it is the truth for me. But this doesn't work either. We think we know ourselves, but we don't. How many of you have seen the show on Fox now called The Moment of Truth? It's the lie detector show where they hook someone up to a lie detector and ask them challenging questions about themselves and about their family members with their family members right in front of them. And if they answer truthfully, eventually they'll get to a point where they win, enough, win some money, right? And so you think this would be easy, right? Oh, just tell the truth. But one man was asked a question, would you cheat on your wife if you knew you wouldn't get caught? And he answered the question, and as, as they're waiting to find out if he really answered truthfully, you can see the look on his face like, boy, I hope I answered truthfully. Like he didn't even know if his own answer was true. That show, by the way, uh, was actually started in Colombia, and it was taken off the air when a woman admitted that she hired a hitman to kill her husband. He didn't die, but uh, just, just how crazy the world is getting this today. And some people say that we can't trust our experience because we are actually living in the matrix. We are in this computer-generated uh, false perspective where everything is determined for us and we, we aren't really living. It's the computers that, are, that have taken us over that, uh, that determine what we see, think, and feel. There are actually people, I know it's just a movie, there are actually people who believe this. So how do we really know anything? Can we really know anything? Well, today, John is going to tell us that we can know many things. So many issues for John are black and white issues. There is right and there is wrong. There is no gray area. This is not like trying to decide what 
college you're going to go to or what kind of car you're going to buy or what kind of clothes you're going to wear. These aren't debatable issues. John says these are things that we can know. In this letter alone, John uses the word know almost 40 times. John seems to think it is something that we can do. We can know for sure. What does this word know mean? Well, in the Greek, it is the word genosko. And what it means is to perceive, to understand, to understand completely. And it's also a word used for when a man knows a woman sexually. That's the kind of intimacy that we can know. Like a man knows a woman and that kind of complete understanding that goes on in that act, we can know. But girls, when a guy comes up to you and says he wants to get to know you, what do you tell him? You tell him ignorance is bliss, okay? All right. <laughs> but there are many things that John says we can know in this, uh, in this book. In this book, he says we can know that we know him. Not only that we know him, we can know that we know him. Some people say, oh, I think I'm saved, but I don't really know. John says we can know, we can be aware that we are saved. He also says we can know that it is the last hour. We can know that Jesus appeared to take away sin. We know the spirit of truth and error. We know the love that God has for us. And we know that we love the children of God. And that verse goes on to say, we know we love the children of God when we obey his commandments and love God. Which brings us to our verse for today. Another thing that John says we can know. 1 John 5 verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. So that you may know you have eternal life. John says, we can know that we have eternal life. And the context of this verse is, chap- is uh, uh, verses 6 through 12. It's the previous paragraph. And two times in this book, he, he says, these things I have written. And it always refers to the previous paragraph that he wrote. So in this context, it refers to this previous paragraph that he wrote. Um, So, what did he write in this paragraph? It's one of the most challenging paragraphs in the Bible. That Jesus came uh, by the water and the blood, not only by the water, but also by the blood. And the Spirit and the water and the blood testify about Jesus. And there are all kinds of perspectives on what this actually means. Um, My perspective is that it means that Jesus was God, that Jesus was human, and that if you have Jesus, God has testified that you have eternal life. And so John says, when you have Jesus, you can know that you have eternal life. What are some ways that we know that we have eternal life? John, in this verse, I'm going to point out three ways that John says we can know that we have eternal life. The first way we can know is by the authority of Scripture. The reliability of the witness of John. John says, these things 
I have written. I have written these things to you. Why is it significant that John says, I have written? Who is John? John is an eyewitness. John is an eyewitness to the eternal life that was manifested in Jesus Christ. This is what he says in chapter 1. What's the significance of an eyewitness? Well, any of you who watch Law and Order know that they will convict someone even without an eyewitness based on circumstantial evidence. But if you have an eyewitness of an account, that is going to be proved and accepted beyond a shadow of a doubt. And John is saying, I write these things. I am a witness to these things. You can trust me. And this is why I'm glad that the Bible didn't just magically drop out of the sky. Because we wouldn't know where it came from. Um, we wouldn't have the evidence of eyewitnesses to the events that John has been talking about. But John says, I'm an eyewitness. And in Jewish law, you needed two or three witnesses for the death penalty. But we do not need two or three witnesses for this. We have John's eyewitness of what he is talking about. Not only was John an eyewitness, but he wasn't just someone who was standing on the outside and watching and going, hmm, that's kind of cool. I think I'll write about that someday. No. He was in the inner circle of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that John was a disciple that Jesus loved. So this is like, this is like Jesus' best friend. If you want to know somebody, think about a guy who, who likes a girl. Who does he go to to find out what that girl likes? He goes to her best friend. Right? Because he thinks that friend has accurate information on what this girl is into. But John was Jesus' best friend. And he probably loved Jesus more than anyone else. He talks about love so much in this passage and in, every, in this book. And in every uh, passage, he brings it all back focused onto Jesus. John was Jesus' best friend. Is a best friend's testimony reliable? Ask, I don't know if any of you have been watching the, uh, the um, congressional hearings on Wednesday about, with Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit. Roger Clemens is accused of taking steroids. And Andy Pettit is his best friend. And Roger Clemens denies taking steroids. And his best friend says, we had a conversation about taking human growth hormone. He said he was taking it. And so when Congress comes and asks Roger Clemens, says, your best friend says that you did it. We don't trust you. But John's perspective is a little different. He's coming at it from a positive angle. He's saying Jesus is God. Jesus has eternal life. Jesus has love for you even though you hated him. This is what he has been talking about throughout this whole book. So not only is John an eyewitness and his best friend, but John has so much love in his heart that he handwrites this letter. He himself 
he handwrites this letter. You know, the art of letter writing uh, has been lost pretty much today. It's all email, right? But think about it. If someone sits down and handwrites you a letter telling you how strongly they feel about you or how strongly they feel about someone else, you treasure that letter. You trust that letter. Guys and girls, think about if your boyfriend or your girlfriend or that special someone sits down and writes you a two or three page letter saying how much they dig you. You hold on to that. That means something. And so because John thought this was so important, he was going to write it down. And we could trust it because he knew Jesus intimately and he saw everything that Jesus did. We can trust his witness, the authority of Scripture. What are some other reasons? The second reason, he talks about the superiority of Christ. The object of our belief. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's bringing it all back to Christ again. He says, we believe. This is what saves you. Believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's not be good or else. Right? So many people living a religious life think that they just have to be good in order to not get punished. But this is not true of God. God loves us as much as he can. We cannot get God to love us more or to love us less. Max Lucado has a quote. He says, We cannot win God's love by being winsome and we cannot lose God's love by being a loser. But so many of us struggle with performance issues. We think we need to be perfect. We think we need to uh, do everything good. Otherwise, God is just going to punish us and judge us. But John says, no, it's belief. It's faith in Jesus. It's not about your works. It's not about how good you are. And I just want to remind uh, parents, this is so important for your teenagers. Examine the example that you are setting for your teens. What kind of fatherly, unconditional love are your teens receiving? Do they think they have to perform, get good grades, be the perfect child in order to earn your approval and your affection? And it's something that kind of happens unconsciously. And the child is stressed out because, oh no, I didn't do it perfectly. I didn't do it right. And so now mom and dad are going to be mad at me. Or will they be able to experience and know the unconditional love you have for them like God has for you? I believe it is things like this that allow George Barna, he's the leading researcher, allows him to discover that 60% of teenagers who call themselves Christians, 60% of teenagers who call themselves Christians believe that if a person is generally good and does good works, they will earn a place in heaven. But how good do you have to be? 
generally good. What does that mean? That's so up in the air. That's so vague. We don't really know how good we have to be. And even if we thought we were good, or thought that being good was all it took, we normally tend to dwell on the bad things that we do. We, folk, we, we get guilty. We, we only see the areas where we fall short. But even if we do focus on the good areas, the good things that we do, then we get prideful. And so that cancels that out. And so we, don't, we can't rely on how good we are because we fall short no matter what. It is belief in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in a minute. John says we believe in the name of the Son of God. What is the name of the Son of God? It's Jesus, but that is not what name here means. There is nothing magical about a J and an E with 90 degree angles, you know, perfect S's. There's nothing magical about putting those letters together because in the Latin community, right, everybody's Jesus. And so we don't trust in the name Jesus. We trust in the person who bears that name, right? And name here means, means authority, it means character, it means the reliability, the perfection. Think of, think of the person you know who, who, is the, who has the most character, who has the highest authority in their job, who is reliable. Think of that person and now compare them to Jesus. They fall short. The best way I can explain this to a teenager is, uh, and to the men who follow the NBA, we know Kevin Garnett got traded from Minnesota to Boston. And Boston has won championship after championship. They have a history. They have a tradition. And Kevin Garnett said when he put on that jersey that, had the, that bore the name Celtics across it, he felt the tradition. He felt that winning attitude when he put that jersey on. And that's how it is for us. We don't put on our good works. We put on the name of Jesus Christ. We put on the man, the God-man, with the most character, the most perfection. Because we do not have it in ourselves. He gives it to us when we believe in Him. And his sacrifice is perfect. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 and 12 tells us about the perfection of the sacrifice of Jesus. This is what it says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And chapter 10, verses 25 and 26 continues this thought. Actually, that's the wrong reference. All right, 9, verse 25 and 26. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, right? Because it said, once for all. 
as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he, being Jesus, would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In his perfection, in his complete obedience, in his holiness, in his deity, he has offered himself on our behalf. That is what saves us. So, we did nothing to get it, right? There was nothing in us that allowed us to earn it. Yet, we feel and we worry that when we mess up, when we sin, we can do something to lose it. But that doesn't make sense. We didn't do anything to get it, and we cannot do anything to lose it because we were bought by Him. Jesus holds us perfectly. He saves us completely when we believe. Jesus is not like one of those immature romances we see where the couple is breaking up every other week. All right? Oh, you offended me. I don't like the way you looked at me, so I'm breaking up with you. No. Jesus loves us perfectly. And when we believe in him, he keeps us perfectly. This is why John says we can know that we have eternal life. Unlike every other religion. Let's go through them. In Islam, you need to do more good works than bad works. And hope at the end that Allah will save you. How do you measure this? We don't know. If you are a Mormon, you must believe in Jesus and follow their teachings. If you are a Buddhist, you want to achieve nirvana. And you achieve nirvana by denying yourself all pleasures and evil. Deny all pleasures and all evil. How do you do this? How in the world does this happen? <laughs> Deny all pleasures and all evil and do good to people. But why would you do good to people? Unless you were seeking pleasure from it. Why would you seek to achieve nirvana unless nirvana was pleasurable? Yet you are supposed to deny all pleasures. I don't get it. Hinduism. In Hinduism, you are looking for moksha. Moksha is the salvation of Hinduism. You must meditate on good things. You must perform rituals and acts of worship to one of the thousands of gods. How do you know which god is right? Did you pick the right one? I don't know. If you are a Rasta, you must believe in Emperor Haile Selassie and follow the Rasta version of the Jewish law. Even though Haile Selassie said, I am not the Messiah, don't believe in me, they still believe in him. All of these religions have a certain set of works, things that you must do in order to hope maybe one day, I don't know, to get lucky and be saved. But that is not us. That is not you. You who are struggling with performing, with coming to church, with giving money 
to try to earn favor from God, to earn more love from God so that He won't punish you. That doesn't work. That is religion. But we have Jesus. We need to stop seeing Jesus and Christianity as just a set of beliefs and routines that we follow. And we need to see Jesus as a person. A real, live person who gives us all our righteousness and allows us to do everything that we do for God. Final point. For the reasons that we can know is simply the simplicity of logic, which has to do with the nature of eternality. What does eternal mean? Believe it or not, in the Greek, this word eternal means eternal. It means forever. It means everlasting. Like, never going to end. So how long is eternal life? Forever. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes? Okay. Then, John says, you have eternal life. If you have it, and it lasts forever, can you lose it? No. Because then it wouldn't be eternal. But John says, you can know that you have it. It's so simple. Eternal life lasts forever. We have it through Jesus Christ. It doesn't end. If you have Jesus, you have, you have the life. So, what is John hoping to accomplish by writing this? What is the outcome of knowing that we have eternal life? Not trusting in ourself, in our performance but trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone for our salvation. John hoped that they would experience peace of mind. That they could stop trying to check off, oh, I did this right, oh, I did this wrong. I did that right, oh, I did that wrong. Oh, I did that wrong. Oh, it's four to three, I don't know. God might not be happy with me. He hoped they would experience peace of mind. To know that it does not rest in them, it rests in Jesus Christ. In their faith trusting, complete trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone for their salvation and what He did. Once they experience this peace of mind, that frees their mind to be able to focus on being more confident in Christ, to be able to live the way that He has asked us to live, to be more bold with our faith, to not be scared of God anymore. John says, He who fears has not been perfected in love. But God has said he loves us perfectly through his son, Jesus Christ. And with this increased confidence and boldness, we can love God and love others without fear. We can move into a life that is active and not that's just talking. That isn't just about what we say about God, but what we know and how we act. Some people will get anxious as I teach this message because then you say, well, Terrence, if, if it's only belief, then they're going to do whatever they want. And they're going to go send their brains out. But John has said over and over in this passage, in this book, that you cannot have eternal life and continue in sin. 
This is the doctrine of regeneration. If you have believed, you have become a new creature. Your desires should have changed. What do you want to do? Is sinning your greatest desire? Is that what you want to do more than anything? Then you probably have not believed in the Jesus that John has been talking about. Our desires change from wanting sin to wanting Jesus. To love him more than we love anyone else or anything else. So I ask you, have you believed in the name of the Son of God? In his character, in his perfect work on the cross? Have you, as Janika talked about, laid your burdens at the foot of the cross and given everything to him, trusting him completely? Do you know that you have eternal life in him? You can know based on the truth of Scripture, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ and who he is as God and man and just by the simple logic of eternal life and that concept. I know today the doctrine of eternal security is challenged by many churches, but it is what the Bible teaches. It is not an epistemological, uh, presuppositional, hermeneutical interpretation. It is the truth of God's word. And so it is my prayer this morning that you would be encouraged and to be able to rest in your salvation that Jesus has bought for you, not from anything that you did, and that you would be able to worship him in thankfulness forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his obedience, his perfection. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling this morning with performance, needing to perform, to feel like they need to work to measure up in order to keep their salvation. Lord, you have done that. We could not do it. We cannot keep it. We did nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to lose it. Lord, if there's anyone in here today who has not believed in you, I pray that your spirit would work in them, convict them, allow them to completely trust in Jesus and everything that he is and allow them to grow in their confidence and their understanding of what he has done for them and what he asks from them in obedience and love. In Jesus' name, amen.